a, it's an honor to be with you today. Uh, my name is Terry Kylo. Um, I grew up in Eastern Washington State in a town of 300 people. Um, where uh, uh, in a Lutheran community, uh, uh, Lutheran church uh, that I went to out in the wheat fields out there. Um, I remember feeling very, um, very, uh, very untrusting of those Methodists um, for some reason, and also the Roman Catholics, especially in that small town. In fact, it was a big deal in those days for someone to marry someone outside of their own church tradition. We only had one uh, person of color in my school. His name was Jose. Um, he was the catcher uh, on the baseball team. Um, he and I were, were good friends. Um, but I, I remember very strongly um, some, some experiences I had in, in, in a church. Um, we would sing Jesus Loves the Little Children uh, sometimes in that little Lutheran church out there. It was one of my favorite songs. Um, and then when I got to be about 11 years old, I went out to the parking lot and stood with the men. And, and there I discovered that what we sang in Sunday school wasn't always true in the parking lot, and certainly not always true in, in the world. As I heard uh, some of the men uh, use some racial slurs uh, toward quite a few groups, including indigenous peoples. And um, when, I, when my mother died back in 2003, you know, I'd been away from my hometown. I'd gone to uh, Pacific Lutheran University, done a social work degree there, had been to Chicago uh, to go to seminary and um, experienced all the diversity of Chicago, teaching some, some tutoring classes and such, and getting to know a lot more people and a lot more people of different faiths. And I came back uh, after my mother was buried up on the hilltop behind the church I, I came down and stood with the men in the parking lot in probably almost the same space I was at when I was a kid. And I began to hear some of the same racial slurs. Only this time, you know, something moved really deeply in my heart. And I, and I said to them, you know, I would appreciate it if we didn't speak about other human beings that way. And the group, group got kind of quiet. You know, nobody scolded me for speaking out that way. And of course, I'm reflecting on that, though, I realize that when we've benefited from, uh, from, you know, from um, the dehumanization of other people, when we've benefited from their oppression, it's really tempting to hate people as a way to justify. It's really tempting to dehumanize people as a way to justify what we've gotten uh, because uh, they have been oppressed. Um, so I'm a Lutheran, and, uh, and Lutherans uh, have, have a lot of great theology and tradition. We also, um, we also have our own challenges. Um, every theology, every system of thought has its own strengths and weaknesses, um, and it's really important for us to know those. And so when I went to seminary, I remember hearing for the first time about the role that many Lutherans played in the 1930s and 40s in Germany, in, uh, in the murder of uh, six million uh, Jewish folk, the Roma and LGBTQIA and many others. And, uh, and I, was, I was shocked. I was shocked also because I didn't, hadn't really thought of it that way. My own church hadn't really brought that to mind. Um, and as we sat around uh, at, at lunch in the cafeteria after, after we did some conversation about that in class, many of us came together and, and said, you know, if we see something like that happening in our time, 
we're not going to be quiet. And of course, the reality was, is right then there were things just exactly like that happening in the world all around us. Um, the, the the terrible legacy of Jim Crow and the new Jim Crow, the um, the incredible injustices toward uh, migrant workers in this country, toward people who don't have um, uh, you know papers uh, to be uh, citizens in this country. Uh, treatment of LGBTQIA and so many others, uh, people with disabilities. I mean, we could just go on and on. So a number of years ago, um, I began to do some interfaith work uh, as I was the, the priest of an Episcopal church in Marysville. And I invited a Muslim and a Buddhist to come and join me. And we had some really great conversation. And, but I began to notice that there was a lot of energy in the, in the audience as we did this, these conversations. Um, there's a lot of negative energy toward my Muslim friend who was unfailingly gracious and kind to people. And so we ultimately were invited to Oak Harbor, Washington, to, to do an event at the public library to kind of help people in Oak Harbor sort of work through some of their, their feelings about Islam and Muslims in general. And we went there and we saw we had 90 people show up. And I just, again, saw incredible energy and negativity toward my Muslim friend. And we ended up organizing five more of those kind of events around uh, North Puget Sound, North Salish Sea. And, um, and we, um, again, noticed everywhere we went, uh, there was this incredible negative energy. And not only that, the same questions um, were phrased the same way in almost using exactly the same language everywhere we went. And I began to realize that there's obviously a lot behind this. And uh, I, I began to become aware through some research that uh, there are hate groups in this country that spend between 30 and 40, maybe even $50 million a year to dehumanize American Muslims and to divide Americans against each other. And then that, of course, really rung my bell. I mean, that something really changed in my heart. Um, you know, as a kid growing up in a small town, uh, my mother had a disability. She had multiple sclerosis. And my family had gone through bankruptcy and some other challenges. And we were kind of left out on the edge, um, almost excluded in, in many respects. And I was bullied as a kid. Um, three, it took three, three guys uh, in my class were, were really pretty much bully, bullies. And, uh, and so when I saw this kind of, you know, bullying, dehumanizing language, it really hit something in my heart and, and, and even my guts, you know. And then I got to thinking about as a Lutheran, like, you know, we've got some, some things to, to make up for. We got some learning to do from our own past mistakes. You know, part of a tradition is values and stories and practices that help us remember how to be human in the world. But also a part of a tradition is the capacity to remember when we've fallen short of those ideals and values. And so I knew I couldn't just do nothing in the face of this massive dehumanization campaign, which um, is every bit as effective as anything that the Nazis did. I also thought about it as an American citizen, too, um, thinking about the constitutional ideals uh, and aspirations of this country, which we've never fully lived out. Uh, by any means. And, and all of that together sort of led me to a place where um, I began to do 
um, a lot of speaking uh, with Muslims many times um, to help counter the, these, this anti-Muslim bigotry that's so pervasive out there. And uh, as I did that, I began to learn a lot of things about my own tradition. And uh, I've spoken now somewhere like 300 times across Washington State and across the country, uh, many times to, to uh, churches and wisdom communities. I, I've been in many uh, Unitarian Universalist churches as well, who've been very supportive of the work I've done. Um, but I, I've, I learned something, and, and one of the things I've learned is the meaning of this passage in Genesis chapter 12 in the Hebrew scripture. Um, and part of it is the meaning of monotheism. I think growing up, and I, I think a lot of times in, in, in this country with uh, Christian white supremacy sort of invading and pervading so much of our thoughts about God, we sort of misunderstand monotheism. Uh, we often turn it into monoreligionism. But monotheism in its day, and I think today as well, is, is really a, quite a radical idea. Um, at one point, uh, there were different tribes, and each tribe had its own god. And so when the tribes fought, the gods fought. But monotheism said that the diversity between tribes in terms of culture and religion and so forth um, it is not a bug. <laughs> it is a feature. Um, and that there is one creator who made all the peoples or all the families of the world. And, uh, and that um, this passage sort of is sort of talking about that, that notion that there is one creator, one uh, who creates all the families of the world and who invites uh, Abraham and Abraham's offspring, either spiritual or physical, um, to share God's value system with respect to those other families. And what is that value system? What is God's mission to all the families of the world? Well, in this passage, it is to be a blessing. Now, in, in Hebrew, uh, the word blessing means uh, to bring your best. And actually, in many respects, it, it involves like kneeling down and offering your best to, uh, to another. And so it isn't about imposing one's will or making everybody Jewish or, or Christian or any other wisdom tradition. It's really about bringing our best and offering it to them in an attitude of humility knowing that whatever we have that's good has is, is come from, from the creator anyway. And so what this passage is, is helping me realize is the, the radical notion of monotheism, that all the peoples and families and cultures and religions of the world um, are in fact, uh, uh, are in fact um, not a, a bug of the creation, not a problem to be overcome, but rather a set of gifts uh, to enjoy. Um, as as the prophet Muhammad taught, uh, is that um, that all that all the nations and families of the world, you know, are were, were made different from one another, so that we could get to know each other, so that there would be a lot of interest and mutual learning. Um, that's how our Muslim sisters and brothers see it. And so, what this passage revealed to me was that so often uh, in the churches that I would serve, Lutheran, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Methodists, and so on. Um, is that we really replaced monotheism with kind of a monoreligionism, that if you believe that God is a certain way, then God loves you, right? Which is the way theology breaks down. We know from social scientists that uh, human beings 
can really uh, get into our group identity and can very easily move from a group identity into an exclusive group identity. Um, and now we see a lot of that playing out in the political realm as people's identity is now so in, in, in attached to their political party that they can't hardly see the humanity of people in the other. But monotheism's core idea is to help us see other people as human, um, even if they dress differently, speak differently, worship differently, pray differently, eat different foods, even if their culture is very different from our own. And I'm, and I'm sad to say that I think so often uh, the Christian church, especially um, given the, uh, the intense white Christian supremacy in the country, have often devolved into um, an exclusive, exclusionary sort of notion of we're the in-group and everybody else is the out-group. So what I try to do when I go out to congregations um, is to try to help them understand that to be, if they're Christian, to be faithful to Jesus means to understand Jesus within that larger Abrahamic tradition, it means to understand Jesus as a monotheist, to understand Jesus as one who shares in the mission of God as revealed in, in, you know, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, which is that God's core value and therefore the value of what it means to be human is to offer with humility our best gifts to one another. And as such, then we become a blessing. So I just want to say that this, uh, this, this journey to kind of try to counter anti-Muslim bigotry, um, which of course is just one way to counter all the bigotries, right? Because they all grow from the same roots of fear and greed. Um, it has really challenged and deepened my own sense of my own tradition. In some ways, it's led me to sleepless nights um, because there are times when even though I wanted to be a good ally with my Muslim neighbors, that I would still say and do things that were not helpful. But it's really challenged and deepened my own appreciation for the Lutheran tradition, for the broader Christian tradition, the broader Abrahamic tradition. It really has, has changed the way I see the world. And so what I've found is that I can still be who I am. I can still be, you know, like a Lutheran. Um, I can still carry the ideals and the practices of that tradition. I can still carry uh, critiques of our own behavior and how we have and have not lived that out very well. Um, but I'm able to, to do that deeply. And because of that tradition, it is rooted in, 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 uh, in this larger Abrahamic tradition, I can recognize the humanity of other people not in spite of my faith, but because of it. So as I go around, I try to encourage congregations to do three simple things in terms of engaging with other wisdom traditions. Um, so often interfaith work has been seen as primarily performative. You know, we sort of get together and pray or we get together and sing or whatever, and all those are really good and important. But I try to include three things. Uh, get together, eat and pray and share stories once a year. Once a year, get together and do a service project. And once a year, uh, be in public together, march in the parade or, you know, show up uh, at, a, uh, at a food fair at the, at the park or whatever it is in your own community. Because when people get together from different faith traditions, something really powerful happens, not just among us, but 
to the people in the larger world. Because right now we are forgetting how to recognize each other as human beings. Right now there is so much division. We're, we're seeing people who differ from us often as less than human. And, uh, and, but when people see people of different wisdom traditions coming together, eating and sharing stories and doing service projects together and working to benefit their larger community, when they see us willing to stand with each other in public, uh, not only to counter the dehumanization of each other, but to stand with each other in celebration, it begins to answer something really deep uh, within all of us right now which is to see that we can be who we are and we can be in relationship with others. And we can do that because being in relationship with others is part of who we are. It's part of how we discover the depth of our own selves and even our own traditions. So I just want to invite you, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to, to consider really active participation with other wisdom traditions out there. And I think what you'll find is a lot of the same problems and challenges that you face, uh, but we'll also be able to receive and, and offer blessings, that is, the gifts that we have offered in humility uh, to one another that will help us to recognize our humanity and help people in our community to see that we can, once again, recognize each other as human, because that's part of what it means to be human. Thank you so much for having me today.